Hello and welcome to episode 61 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. I'm delighted to be joined by two great guests this week, both of whom had success at the recent New Zealand Darts Council National Championships in Motueka. It was a whole week of events down in New Zealand, with the highlights being the Shop New Zealand Open, a WDF silver-graded event, and New Zealand Darts Council National Singles Championships. The National Singles on the men's side was won by Ben Robb, who was on the podcast not long ago. Ben came from behind to beat Darren Herowini 6-4 in the final. The shot New Zealand Open, as I mentioned, was silver graded, which meant the winner and the runner-up in both the men's and ladies' singles qualified for the World Masters at the end of this year. And there was a a winner's prize of 1500 New Zealand dollars. And that went the way of Hopai Pua. It was the first WDF event that Hopes had won since the Alan King Memorial in October 2018. He beat Josh Walters 4-1 in the last 16. He beat Big Rig Ben Rob 4-3 in the quarterfinals. He whitewashed the veteran Lutai 5-0 in the semis. And in the final, he met A-Train AJ Takira. AJ had beaten the likes of Craig Ross and former guest on the show Landon Gardner to make the final. Fun fact, he actually the last WDF ranking final AJ had made was this same event back in 2019. On that occasion, he lost out to Mark McGrath. And this time, sadly, AJ finished up on the losing side again. His poor finishing in the final really cost him and that allowed Hopi to race into an early lead and he was able to convert that in the end for an overall 6-2 victory. I managed to catch up with Hopi earlier this week to discuss his win in Motueka, his experience playing in the PDC World Championship at the end of last year and the tough challenges he faced being over in the UK for, for five months, being away from his family and his return to the golf course down in New Zealand. I'm now delighted to be joined by New Zealand's Hopai Pua. How are you, Hopai? I'm good, thank you. It's good to good to get you on the show. Last week, you won the New Zealand Open, which was your first WDF title in almost three years. How would you assess your performances in Motueka? Uh, I played um, I played reasonably good all week. I. Uh... I hadn't really been playing WDF just because my goals kind of aligned to the PDC. So I didn't really chase uh, WDF events. At the moment with COVID and, and the lack of uh, international travel, um, I kind of just started playing the WDF tournaments again to fill in time, if that makes sense. I mean, you got the win there. You know, you played all during the week. That actually got you on the New Zealand national team. Again, I'm sure that was a moment of immense pride for you. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Even though we don't actually have anywhere to go, it's, uh, it's, still, uh, it's still ticking off goals. Uh, any time you can represent your country is, a, um, is an honour and a privilege. So, I was, yeah, it's pretty safe to make that change. Well, I mean, you said you're not chasing the, the WDF events, but winning that one does qualify you for the World Masters at the end of the year in the Netherlands. And hopefully, I'm sure you'd love the opportunity to play that and then a week or so later get the chance to play at Ali Pali once again. Oh, yeah. I'm, this is the first time I uh, found out that I got that spot, so I'll have to have a look at that. <laughs> I mean, I want to talk about that experience at Alexandra Palace last year. What did you take from that experience as a player? I know you didn't get the result that you wanted. I, I think you, you learn a lot more from, uh, from losing. 
and it was a big opener. I went over to the UK very confident. I was playing very good. I wasn't much of a, a practicer before I left New Zealand. So I, I normally was working 50, 60 hours a week and, and then travelling. And most of my practice was um, game time, so tournaments, etc. And when I went to the UK, I, uh, I found myself with a lot of time. Uh, especially between the World Cup and the William Hill, so there wasn't much to do since we weren't allowed to go outside. So I, I set the board for six to eight hours a day, um, thinking to myself that I don't generally practice, so how good, good, good could I be if I did? And then I found myself, I guess, not practicing so well, and then it kind of affected me mentally when you when you don't when you start to go bad. I guess the mental side of the game starts kicking in and, and I got up on stage uh, hoping it would go on and it didn't quite happen. So I, right now, I think it made me a stronger player. I went back and worked back to New Zealand. I've been working on small things like um, uh, a new barrel, a new shape of barrel to give myself more space than the triples. Uh, a better routine, uh, a stance that I can, I have more endurance, so my legs don't get so tired, so a nice, a nice stance where I can stand for a long time. And so it probably did me more good than harm, mm-hmm. uh, how I performed at the, at the William Hill. And obviously your performance in Motueka last week, you won the, the DPNZ event a week or so before. It's obvious the changes you've made are starting to pay dividends for you. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I, that, that was the first tournament that I used uh, my new prototype. Uh, that was the DPNZ tournament, and then I used it again uh, last week in, in Mochuica. So um, I'm, I'm liking how they, uh, they're going at the moment, for sure. Now, I know after the, the World Championships, you had real difficulties getting back from the UK to... New Zealand. So, kind of talk me through how many attempts you actually had in the end to get home. And yeah, so so my original flight home was after the William Hill. It was supposed to be the second of January, I think. And I was so disappointed how I performed at the William Hill. I decided to uh, change my flight so I could go to Kiel. And I think I changed it a day before. Uh, Q school got moved, so I changed my flight to the fourth of February, and then Q school got moved past that flight. So I pretty much had a month out. So I wasn't gonna go to Q school because of my flight, etc. And then, and then that flight got cancelled by Dubai. I think two or three days before I was supposed to fly out. I um, paid. X amount of dollars to, to find a, a different route by Singapore. And then I uh, took the wrong COVID test. I did an NHS test, which <laughs> didn't allow me to, to fly back to Australasia. Hence the reason why I went to Q school in the end. Oh, wow. So uh, Q- it was a bit of a shambles. <laughs> and so on the 4th of um, February, I was... At Heathrow, I went to give my, my boarding pass and COVID test and they told me, they gave me the good news that um, it wasn't the right test and 
and uh, I'd be staying in uh, England for a little bit longer. <laughs> well, so I had, so I had, I think six days to prepare for Q school. <laughs> so when was it that you actually got back to New Zealand properly and back with your family again? Uh, I got out of isolation it's obvious from your social media and stuff family is a massively important thing for you how hard was it for you being away from your wife and children for for five whole months in the end oh, it was very difficult i was lucky lucky we have uh, technology and i can uh, facetime morning and night so that was a, about an hour each time before the kids went to bed and before the kids went to school so it made it a little bit easier so yeah, it was it was extremely difficult. Yeah, I'm sure the reunion when you did get home was still pretty special, though. Oh, most yeah, most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to be home. I mean, in terms of staying over for that long and you having to change your flights and stuff, how did that affect your work status back in New Zealand? Oh well, at, at the same time, we when I left when I left New Zealand, we were we were living in Auckland. My lease. Our lease and our, on our rental actually ran out while I was stuck in the UK. So my wife uh, um, put all that stuff into storage and and she moved back to to Christchurch where she she has a lot more family. And now Auckland, Auckland, I was just there for the work. Christchurch is where my wife's from, and yeah, like I said, she's got a lot of family there, so it made it a little bit easier. For her and the kids while I was away. As for my job, when I it was a good idea at the time that I'd, I'd commute from Christchurch to Auckland, but once I got home and, and realised uh, how much travel that would be, I kind of decided not to not to go back to work in Auckland. So, so yeah. <laughs> so have you managed to find something now work-wise in Christchurch? I've been taking dropping the kids off at school and picking them up. And, I've kind of just been doing, I haven't gone back full time. I've just been working on um, fitness, uh, family time, and doing a little bit of work here and there. But nothing, <laughs> nothing too full on. Yeah, definitely. Living the dream, as they say. <laughs> Getting back to New Zealand and playing, did you feel there was a an adjustment period for you playing in New Zealand events again after the World Championship? Uh, not really. I, I had, when I got back, I had uh, six weeks off. So I told my wife I wouldn't go straight back into it. Um, I, saw, I saw do the old 10-minute practice most days. <laughs> if I'm lucky, some days I won't even pray at all. <laughs> but, um, no, I kind of, I guess I was, I was winning 90% of the tournaments before I left. And uh, uh, yeah, I just I was going through dark changes, so it wasn't quite the return that I anticipated. But slowly getting back to it, slowly getting back to winning. And I saw that you know when you did get back in June, you played a, a pairs competition with your wife, and that was the the first time she'd ever played darts. So that must have been a nice moment for the pair of you. Oh yes, most definitely. That. So we played in the Canterbury next year, and I don't I don't generally play pairs. Uh, mixed years, I mean, um, just because of the whole stress, stress of it. <laughs> but uh, my wife was real keen to play, so so I thought, why not? 
we did reasonably good. We we made it to the semi-finals. Uh, I think it was my wife's third or fourth game, which was good. I, I played out of my skin, by the way, <laughs> for us to get that far. But, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was cool just to see the smile on her face and she was happy and getting her involved and, as much as I can is uh, what I try to do. And kind of away from yourself playing, I've seen that this year you've been involved with the Canterbury Junior Darts Academy. Kind of what, what's that for you? What's your involvement there? And is that for you all about giving back to the community? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to take the credit for that, but it's, I, I'm, I'm pretty much just there to look pretty. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't do the, I don't do all the hard work. Uh, my, my wife and Bernie, I'm there, but... I'm not doing all the heavy lifting that makes it. And we sort of touched on it already, that win in the, the DPNZ event. How much of a building block do you think that's going to be for you for the rest of the year and build a momentum for the end of the year? Uh, yeah, well, that was my first event. I have to play four more. So you have to play 50% of the, of the ranking events in the DPNZ to be eligible for the William Hill. So at that stage, I'm probably out of the... I'm well out of the run for the World Cup, but uh, there's a few guys in there that will be using the card, I guess. It's good to to get back to the DPNZ. I, I was still ranked number one from previous years, so it makes it a little bit easier in the team. It's good. It's just good to let everybody know that I'm back, and, and I can still do it, and for them to watch out, I guess. <laughs> Something I did want to ask you about, because in your dark career, a big breakthrough for you was on the DPA tour in 2019. That's something I spoke to Ben Robb about before, and he was saying, you know, it was a big commitment for the two of you, but he said it improved his game massively. What did you feel that that time on the DPA tour did for you as a player? Massive. It was, I think it's uh, a lot more professional uh, compared to the DPMZ. They, um, the DRA rules are uh, a lot more strict, uh, and the straight knockout right from the beginning because there's a lot more people. So in New Zealand, you, you don't get any straight knockout events. So to prepare us for televised events, which was straight knockout, the best way for us to, to get match practice was to go to Aussie. So that definitely uh, lifted our game. And we, uh, we found when we got home that and lifted our game so much that we started to dominate in New Zealand for both of us. Yeah, we, we, we owe a lot to the VPA. Uh, it turned our game, just lifted our game to extra level. And I know you came into darts from a background in, in golf and a successful background in golf. How much golf are you still playing at the moment? Uh, when I, when I uh, got back from the UK, a while I was in isolation, I... Uh, I hadn't played for a few years, so I gave up, gave up golf for a few years, but I had so much time that I was searching, uh, like eBay, KB, all of those kind of stuff, looking at looking at the new the new technology that's out there. So I, I bought me a new driver and, and some new wedges, and when I got out, uh, my wife joined me up to the local golf course, and I've been playing, well, I was playing once a week at the start, but now um, I haven't played for a few weeks now. But I try and get out there once a week to play golf. And 
yeah, it's made me not want to play competitively, but but just getting out there on the golf course, fresh air, and still still being able to, to play play good. I guess that's uh, it's good for me. Yeah, and, and I'm enjoying it. I'm that's probably going to play tomorrow. If the weather's good, I'll probably have it around tomorrow. Looking towards the end of the year when things are getting towards the business end and you're looking at trying to qualify for, you know, the William Hill again, having golf there for you again as an outlet, I'm sure, will be a positive thing. Oh, yeah. And, and hopefully, if I do get to go back over to the UK, I get to play some of the, some of the golf courses. It'll be great. <laughs> I drove, we drove fast as well. I stayed with Stanley Kilbane for a little bit and he had some brand new clubs, so that was part of the reason why I, I joined back up to the, uh, to the golf course when I got home. Kind of something I've seen a lot about since you got home was the, the Hopes collection. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Oh, the Hopes collection. So my wife got sick and tired of me spending money at uh, retail stores and uh, t-shirts, hoodies, stuff like that. So she she said, why, why would I wear someone else's brand when I could wear my own? So basically... It's her, pretty much her idea. She, yeah, so we just made some t-shirts and hoodies, and now I don't have to spend crazy amounts of money wearing someone else's brand. I can wear my own. That was the main idea around it. Oh, lovely. In terms of darts, you've kind of touched on it already with the, the DPNZ. What's your schedule looking like for, for the rest of the year in terms of events? It's pretty full. September, August, September, October. Uh, I think I have two or three spare weekends for the rest of the year. So this weekend is one of them, and then um, after this weekend, I've only got two other spare weekends. They're fully booked, which is good. When you were in the UK for the World Championships and Q School after that, I know it wasn't ideal circumstances, but you had the taste of that professional experience, and you've seen what Damon Hetter and Gordon Mathers have been able to do. Could you see yourself making that move permanently to the UK in the future? Yeah, I. It, it wasn't easy. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, going from bubble to bubble, um, alone in motel rooms, kind of made it difficult. Uh, having the having no liquor license at Q School, that was a bit different. Not used to that. No, I'm not saying alcohol should be. Um, an excuse, but it was, yeah, I guess preloading made made it uh, a bit weird. At the same time, I didn't, when I was going to school, I didn't actually have a, a flight home either, so uh, <laughs> I was going through that issue where I, I didn't know when or if I'd get home. So, uh, oh, just uh, the mental game wasn't, wasn't there, and I definitely want to have another go because I know I can do better. Uh, but uh, to touch on your question, the pro-life isn't easy. It looks glamorous on TV, but it's most definitely not. So hopefully, hopefully the world gets back to normal and, and we don't have uh, the restrictions that we uh, had last year. Thank you so much for your time today, Hope. I really do appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck with what's going to be a very busy end to the year. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking to Hopi. I think it's definitely, I can say, the first time a guest has joined the show from the gym. I hope he enjoyed the rest of his workout uh, the other day. I also felt talking to him was very revealing about 
the challenges that he faced while he was over in the UK, you know, not originally planning to play at Q school and then changing his plans and going into Q school without a flight home even booked or knowing when he was going to be able to get home. It's incredibly challenging for those players who, who made the commitment, especially in these circumstances. I think it, you know, I think his efforts deserve a tremendous amount of credit and hopefully he'll get the opportunity in better circumstances to come over and show off his skills in the World Championship, be that PDC or WDF, and show people what he's really capable of as a dart player. Even if, as, as Hope I said, he's not really been chasing WDF in the past, he's played regularly in the events this year, and he's now up to third in the regional rankings. He's not far behind the two men currently in the World Championship qualifying spots, who are Ben Robb and Warren Parry. Both the ladies' events down in Motueka produced the same final, and ultimately both had the same outcome with Desi Mercer defeating Marianne Tarnaki in both finals. The shot New Zealand Open for the ladies was the 8th ranking title of Desi's career, and I managed to catch up with her earlier in the week to talk about her performances in Motueka, her career in the sport, her health issues, and much, much more. I am now delighted to be joined by the New Zealand Open champion Desi Mercer. How are you, Desi? I'm good, thank you. It's good to talk to you. It was a very good week for you in Motueka. You won the New Zealand Open and the New Zealand uh, Darts Council National Championship as well. How are you feeling now? Yeah, it has sunk in a bit now. I did, did quietly say to one of my sons that I was going up there and I was going to gun for that Open because I'd never won it before. But... Um, there was a lot of preparation to go into it for me personally before we left to, to go up. But um, the singles was a bit of a surprise. But I did think prior, because it was run um, consecutive days, that uh, if I played this well today, I may continue tomorrow. So, But I never go in thinking yeah, that I'm going to win it. I'll just try my guts out and it seemed to all come together. Well, yeah, definitely. In the in the New Zealand Open, you dropped just two legs in the knockout rounds before the final. So you were obviously playing pretty well and got the win in the end as well. Yeah, I think what I had over a lot of my opponents was finishing. I just finished straight away, which was um, had been my downfall earlier in the year. and um, But uh, it all seemed to come together. And in the New Zealand Open final, you played Marianne Tarnaki, and then you played her the following day in the, the national finals. The national final was a little bit closer, 5-4. How, how close and tight was that game? Uh, very. She plays a beautiful dart, Marianne. I've got a lot of respect for her game, and I'm happy, probably happier for her than I was for me because she's been one of those players that's been sitting on the cusp for a wee while. She suffered from dartitis. I remember I played her in Levin, it could have been a couple of years ago, and it was the toughest section I'd ever played in because there was just, every player in that section was a good player. And every leg went five legs and she was one of them and she was suffering with it then. She absolutely gave me a hiding. And I looked at one of the girls and said, I want to get dartitis if I play that well, because she did. So, and then I'm glad she saw, I've seen her at more um, ranking tournaments this year than I have at any other. 
So um, I would say after this week, she will be attending a lot more, and I hope she does, because she is a very, very good player, very good. And um, she knew, I think maybe in the Open, she uh, may have got a bit nervous, and uh, but she knew what she was up for in the singles, because she'd been there the day before. So um, it was a very, very tight game. I did start getting the edge on her from the, at the start, and um, but she pulled it back and ended up going to the last leg. And um, I don't think she played, personally, I don't think she was as strong in her last leg as she had in the others. And um, But then she did manage to, towards the end of that leg, I think she hit a 140 before I went out on a double 19. You did pick up those two titles, and one of them, the Open, you were, you were aiming to win anyway at the start. How would you assess well, your game at the moment? Personally... I think I can do better, but I'm not complaining with how I played. I'd like to um, get a lot more consistent. I don't feel like my game's consistent, so I'd like to, like, say, uh, I'd like my scores to be a hell of a lot more consistent and the bigger scores. I seem to have these darts that sort of stray off and I want to work on that. Winning the New Zealand Open qualifies you for the World Masters later this year in the Netherlands. You played in the World Masters before 2018. How did you find that whole experience in the UK? Different, totally different to how we play it here because I'd sort of heard from Tina Osborne because we'd all gone over together. Wendy, Tina, Tara and I had all gone over together. And Tina had sort of given me the rundown on how everything worked over there, but until you're there, it wasn't what I expected, totally wasn't. I mean, I didn't, ex what, what blew me away was the fact that you have to register for a game, you wait for your opponent, you go play it, that's all fine. You score a stand there waiting for you, you play your game and you win it, you take your sheet back and they tell you to come back four hours later. That's what got me, was the weight. But I understood because there was like 256 qualifiers, so that's one big sheet. So they split those all down to smaller sections, but you've only got like one board. So you can sort of understand that it's going to take a while for you to get to your next round, but yeah, it's just a stamina thing, I guess which we're not, we, we were, we've never been used to anything like that. So definitely an eye-opener, and I definitely wanted to do that in the, the lakeside thing again, and then everything sort of turned upside down over there, so we didn't know what was going on. The changes to the World Masters mean that in the opening rounds, it's going to be a round-robin, which is much more like to, to what you guys are used to down in New Zealand. last night he got on the internet and had a wee read about it so um, yeah so th that would be quite good, quite good indeed I mean I'd really love to go but um, I'll just have to wait and see what happens really with me Yeah and obviously of course the Covid as well, I know the restrictions are quite tight on you guys in New Zealand at the moment Yeah Going out's not so bad, it's 
coming back, and I've got a son that's over from Australia, and it's three t- attempts for him to come home and to see his kids because he usually flies them over there. And uh, because of COVID, he hasn't done that for obvious reasons, and so he decided to come back, and now he's here a little bit longer than he expected, but he's not complaining. He will get back, I think, next week, but that's just to Australia. Like, he's in Perth, which is, they're not having such a bad time of it as the rest of Australia, but... um, yeah, to go even further afield, I'm not sure. But, I mean, hey, look, they did it with the Olympics, didn't they? Well, exactly. Your performances during the, the week in, you know, Motueka and elsewhere in the year got you onto the New Zealand national team for, for this season. When you got told, was that like the, the cherry on top of the cake for your week? Yeah, I kind of, I think I kind of expected to get into the team because usually when you win that New Zealand singles you're guaranteed a spot on that team. Well, I know the last time that I was picked was more of a surprise to me than this time because I didn't know I was going to be picked. But then I'd heard from other girls that the person that wins the singles would go in. So um, I think I was more happy for Marianne. Hmm. But um, it did top off a good week, yes. Hmm. I'd be lying if I didn't. I saw in one of the pictures from, from the week when you were getting one of your titles presented to you that you were using a, a walking crutch. Is that a long-term issue for you or a more recent injury? I need a double hip replacement. Ouch. Yeah, and I found that um, sitting in the seats that they had in the hall, I found it really sore to get down and even worse to get up. So the first day I didn't. I left it in the car, but the second day I thought, nah, if I have to stand all day, at least I can stand and lean on this. wasn't so much for the short trips backwards and forwards to the board, but like, you know, if you wanted to go to the bar or if you wanted to go get something to eat, and it's a longer journey, so it was better to use that. So that's what I was doing. I know I was sort of annoyed people. I got a lot of stick from everybody about how um, I can... Because they all know I need a double hip replacement. They all know if my flights come out of the board or if my dart pings out of the board, somebody's got to pick it up for me. And everyone's really, really good about it. But I know some of my friends are like, I don't understand how you can come up here and you can hardly walk and yet you go win everything. And I say only one, two things. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, you know, if the darts fall out of the board or whatever, as you say, somebody else has got to get it for you. So does the, obviously, I imagine the pain you're in with it, but also the need for it. Does that limit the amount you practice? Uh, no, because I'm bad. I don't practice. To be fair, I haven't been the world's biggest practicer, and I should spend time on the board because it probably would make a difference. But um, I was working. <coughs> the job that I was in before, I used to start at 4.30 in the morning and finish at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I've since stepped down from that manager's role and um, I'm doing online picking because I work in a supermarket Mm. and I work on the checkouts and the standing all day and the walking all day I've got a trolley to lean on when I'm doing online picking and they've got those um, mats that are it's not like standing on hard floor when you're at the checkouts so 
I found that was probably one of the best decisions I'd made because I was lifting probably 18 kg crates, maybe 13 to 15 pallets so I had to break down a day and I was walking out of there just completely crippled and in agony and it's just not worth it. No, definitely not. And of course the waiting list to get in to see, to get your hips done, um, who knows when that's going to happen, so you just got to soldier on. And is that replacement something you've ne- you needed before everything happened with the pandemic last year? Yeah, it's just you know, obviously just progressively got worse over time. I know they said that my left one was worse than my right, but now they've both got. I got no cartilage in either. It's just bone chipping on bone, and um, I've got chronic arthritis in both as well. Hmm. So I do I do see the surgeon on the seventeenth of August and to get my date. So um, I'm not even going to cross my fingers that it's going to be soon because I know just how big the waiting lists are here. So I just have to um, take my turn. I mean, it doesn't sort of bother me. I'm in the hospital quite a bit. I go in every eight weeks and get. Um, needles into my esophagus so I can eat food and that's a rare condition I've been doing that for 25 years so I know how the hospital system works so I'm, I mean I'm prepared to wait I mean I know a lot of people moan about the waiting list but I mean you got to put yourself in their position and how many people they're seeing I bet their lists are just over just as overwhelming to them so with kind of trips to the hospital and, and you know, the, your hips and, and condition with your, your esophagus, did the kind of, under the pandemic, were you classified as like a, a vulnerable person? Um, no. Uh, my surgeon, Patty O'Connor at Q, she knows exactly what I'm like. I, um, I said to her, oh, does that mean that, because she got me in two days before we went into lockdown. And I said to her, are you going to put me off work? And she went, put you off work. She said, what is the point of putting you off work? I've seen you get out of the hospital and go straight to an airplane and hop on it and go and play darts. (laughs) She said, so it's a waste of time me giving you, you're going to go to work anyway because you'll get stir crazy at home. She said, so she'd given me a flu jab and everything else. And she said... If things get too bad, you can give me a yell, but she said, I don't expect to hear from you. Because I, I, I was a central worker, so I did work right through the entire pandemic. I was oblivious to the fact that it was happening. I knew that um, the week prior, we were going, we were having all the panic buying. And our storeman had gone away, and I was doing the storeman's job, so you're never out in the shop. And everybody kept saying how busy it was, but I didn't really, it just didn't kick in that people were panic buying. And um, I got scratchy cards delivered by a courier and um, it took me 20 minutes just to get from one end of the shop to the other. I was just like gobsmacked about how many people and the lines that were going up the aisles of people just panicking. So that's when it really hit home, just 
things are bad because when you work those hours and you go to bed early, you don't really. I wasn't watching the news, and I just knew that there was a uh, you know, the coronavirus. That's all I knew. Yeah, so we're lucky. We had a couple of of lockdowns, but other than that, I mean, I did get. Uh, the guy from Sydney that came over here, my friend and I had been up north to the Puma Masters and um, we ate at the same food court that he was eating at before he flew out. So we had to go into isolation and get tested and um, I missed my appointment with my hip surgeon because of that, because my second result didn't come back till the Wednesday, I was supposed to see him on the Tuesday. In terms of the darts for you, when did kind of when did you first start playing, and how did you first get into it? My dad played. Um, they used to have a club here in Gore, which is right down the bottom of the South Island, um, and he had got me to go down and fill in for their team. I didn't even know what darts were. I seen the dartboard on the wall, but didn't really pay much attention to it. And I think I might have been, I don't know, 17 maybe. And we got down there. I couldn't believe how many people were down there. And I said to him, what do I do? He said, just throw at the ball. So that's what I did for the whole night was just keep throwing at the ball. And then I had to play a game of singles. And I played this guy. And I remember I ended up on double two in the third leg. And my dad came up to me and he goes, don't hit that. And I said, what? And he said, because he's been playing for ages. He'll feel re- You're going to make him feel bad if you beat him and you've just walked in the door. And I went, well, I don't even know how I can hit it. So I said, it should be pretty easy enough to miss it. But I had it. And um, I even threw another dart because I didn't know. It had gone on the double two. I think it was the second dart went in the double two and I threw the third dart. But it missed, any- missed the board anyway. And they would say, no, 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 you're finished now. And so every week I tend to get dragged down there. They started a junior section, which I got a lot of my friends into. And now, of course, unfortunately, there is no dart hall here. And um, I'm the only dart player in Gore, really, that, like, competitive. I don't even know that what we would call it in charter clubs. They used to run a darts thing, but I don't know that they do anymore. So I think the disadvantage for me at the moment, or for a while, is I'm probably one of the few dart players in the country that doesn't get match practice, doesn't have club nights. Because um, I, I play for Southland, which is out of Invercargill, which is about 40 minutes away. So I don't go down there either. And so the only practice I get, match practice, is um, at tournaments. I did take an eight-year break, and um, I think this is my fifth year back, just at a guess. I just took a break. Um, Sort of, I think, I just, I had so much going on. I coached softball, and um, I was working at the... Meatworks back then, and it just seemed to be interfering with everything, and I wasn't enjoying it as much, so I took some time off. And it was a girl, a friend of mine, t- 
turned up at my house one day and and we sort of started talking and I went down and watched her play and then she got me back into it. I think it was a Queen's Birthday tournament um, in Christchurch. They took me up there and then, of course, I just got the bug and started playing again. I mean, what you were saying there about match practice, from what I've understood from you know the other Kiwi players and stuff I've spoken to, that forces you to travel and travelling around New Zealand isn't cheap. No. Um, I usually get the itineraries out and um, and I we have a thing um, in New Zealand, have a grab a seat and they bring it out. I've got the app and it will ping up and tell you when they're having cheap flights and if it works out right with the um, tournaments, we'll all book them all at the same time. But it isn't cheap and I'm lucky enough to have the, the biggest family in the world uh, my mum and dad have got fam. Well, I've got cousins all over the country, so I'm pretty lucky when it comes to accommodation. And of course, there's dart players as well that put you up, so that cuts back on the cost because um, accommodation isn't cheap either. But everybody sort of helps everybody out, so so it is good. And of course, there's the online league. I've been playing in the Desired Shots um, online league since it started. And I've really enjoyed that. And that's been run out of Aussie by um, Lavinia Hogg, who's actually from Invercargill. Hmm. I know Wendy called her an ex-Kiwi, but she'll never be an ex-Kiwi to me just because she lives in Australia. She's still a Southlander. And I also, I read somewhere that you haven't got the, the, the best eyesight, so how, how bad is that, actually? Uh, I can't see the dartboard. I can relate to that guy that plays in the PDC with the long hair, and they said he can't see the dartboard. And I really relied on the um, caller or the chalker to tell me what I hit. And, um, of course, when the pandemic hit, I was trying to find ways, because I didn't have a chalker, because you relied on NACA, and NACA wasn't going to tell me where my dart went, so... I had TV set up with um, my phone mirroring the dartboard to the TV so I could look at the TV to see what I hit to try and keep my rhythm. It did work for a wee while, but then there'd be some angles your dart would go and you'd have to stop and go up and have a look at it, and that became quite frustrating to me. So I started using the glasses that I just used for reading I was getting a clearer view of the board. So I thought, right, I'm just going to have to play with these on, and that's taken a lot of adjustment because I have had to change my throw. I used to throw from um, closer to the side of my head, which always knocked my glasses off. So that's why I thought, well, I'm not playing with those. I'll just play blind. But now that I've sort of got used to it, I, I will actually, I have to go see an optometrist, but then they're not the easiest people to get in to see at the moment either. But yes, I'll have to get something done about that. It might be something simple as LASIK eye surgery and then they'll be as good as gold and I won't have to wear glasses. But uh, I'm slowly getting used to playing with them on, which, which, yeah, which I'm very happy about for sure. Looking ahead for, for the rest of the year, I know it might be dependent on what you hear about your hip replacement but what are you planning to do for the rest of this year in terms of events 
We do have a couple more ranking tournaments. I think there's a Taranaki Open and the Auckland Masters, and then there's one in Dunedin, which is only a couple of areas up the road. So I'm sort of, I'm just going to play it by ear and just wait and see till I see this guy, uh, the surgeon, and um, see what he's got to say before I start making any big decisions on what I want to do. I mean, definitely would love to go overseas. I honestly would. But, um, again, it's not, not something I can plan because I have to wait and see what he has to say. I'm not a sponsored player. I've never been a sponsored player. So um, what I do is all the prize money that I win, I usually put it in, put it all aside and use that to travel to other tournaments um, so that's how it works for me. I know a lot of them are sponsored and lucky them they get dartboards and accessories and some get money and but I mean I don't get any of that so I've just got to get it myself. But I'm okay with that. Actually have to mention too, I entered a mentorship pro program which is run by I think it's WDA Australia and New Zealand and it popped up on my um, Facebook page and so I pushed on it and I ended up with um, I call him Mighty Quinn his name's Brendan Quinn he's from Australia and I think he thought I was taking the mickey when I said I wanted to enter the program and um, he did ask me a lot of questions and I said and then we did establish that that's exactly what he thought but I just said to him there was a couple of areas on my game that I wanted to work on and um, that he might know something or help me be able to help me something with something that I can't fix myself. So he gave me a lot of reading. Um, there was a lot of documents he sent over, and he said to me, "Some of it will help you heap. Some of it, he said, you can just just don't worry, just push it aside. He said, forget about it. But there was a lot of stuff that I could actually re relate to." Because I felt like sometimes when I was going up to the board, and I think it was due to just, again, getting used to um, playing with glasses, I felt like I was tying myself in knots in the dartboard just to get into a comfortable position. I just never felt like I was facing the right way. And uh, so he gave me that. It had a bit of reading, and then it would tell you what you could do to help you with that. I mean, the double thing... Sometimes, on the odd occasion, I would go up and the only practice I probably did, and I did admit to him that I wasn't practicing, but just taking it in mentally was, I would, would go up to the board and I'd throw, get 100, go round the dartboard, get on doubles, get another 100, and that was it. So it would take me probably about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, depending what program was on TV that I was watching at the same time. <laughs> but, um, but I did find his reading, the, the stuff he gave me to read, quite interesting. And I do say to every other dub player that, you know, if you're struggling on something, get into that mentorship program because they keep in touch with you all the time. So they keep pushing you, which is good. And um, he has been a good support. I mean, so have all the desired shots, ladies. I can't, I can't thank them enough. I mean, it's been great to be able to play 
people other out of your own country that you probably never get to play the, in a long time. Let's just say, with this pandemic going on, I know a lot of them are in lockdown, and um, I really feel for them. I know they're all going stir crazy, and we were supposed to have a tournament yesterday, but um, Lavinia got a contract to do. Um, for her work, so she had to call it off, and she's the one that does all the live streaming and everything. But um, yeah, full credit to all those girls; they're all the best. They, some of them, are just amazing dart players, and well, they're all amazing dart players. Let's face it. it. But it's great to see a lot of them improve, and it's just like New Zealand. Um, there is a lot of depth in women's darts in New Zealand, and I always feel like the um, the game of darts is always about the men. And um, because they seem to get more opportunities than what we do. And, um, but there is no, there is no advantage to a man playing at a board and a woman playing at a board. We both row from the same distance. And I think it gets into a lot of women's heads because it's a guy that they're not going to win. But that's just not the case. I mean, look at Lisa Ashton. Exactly. Look at Fallon and Sherry, look what they're all doing. So, um, if anything, that should motivate ladies. But, I mean, I'm proud of the ladies in New Zealand and Australia, the ones that I've met through the Desired Shots League. I mean, there's a lot that have just improved so much. And, and when things get back to normal, I expect to see a lot of results on the board from these girls. I know it's different playing in your house to playing. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's so many people standing behind you. And, um, you know, that can be quite daunting. But, I mean, I just turn off from all of that. But, um, yes, I think darts down under with Aussie and New Zealand, I think um, there's going to be a lot of up and coming, that's for sure. Definitely, I think we're in good good hands, and I think that the players overseas, they've got something to worry about because there's a lot of good players coming up now. Absolutely. And I think I think the online leagues have helped them a lot because as they've had those smashdowns on Dartstream Live, and you know, uh, Tori got to play. I think she played uh, Lynette Wynne Stanley once, and. I mean, it's great for us just to even watch that. I mean, you wouldn't get to watch that. I mean, they're not going to show it on TV, but you can see it um, on the internet. I mean, there's been a lot of advantages as well as disadvantages, but I think the advantages outweigh the disadvantages. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Desi. I really do appreciate it. And hopefully everything goes well on your end and you are able to to come overseas towards the end of this year or sometime next year. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you very much. I had a really good time talking to Desi over the weekend and fingers crossed that, you know, she manages to get everything sorted out with her hip replacements and she's actually able to join the very strong-looking New Zealand contingent over at the World Masters later this year. And a bit like Hopi, she's not far off the World Championship spots now in the ladies' rankings. I think she might even be in one. A roundup of the other titles from Motueka. The men's national pairs was won by Tahuna Irwin and Tao Duncan. 
The women's national pairs was won by Shannon Campbell and Tara Mears. The mixed national pairs went to Helen Mahika and Jacob Renata, while the husband and wife national pairs went to Brian and Joe Steed. I think the New Zealand Arts Council team did a great job throughout the week. Their setup looked fantastic and they provided regular detailed updates on their social media channel. Uh, and it was nice to see former guests of the show, New Zealand Arts Council Chairman Bob Wilson, making a few Facebook Live appearances during the week. And hopefully there's more of that to come as the NZDC tour continues throughout the rest of 2021. The New Zealand Arts Council Nationals will look a little bit different next year when they take place in Rotorua, or at least, you know, listening to what Bob was saying over the week, that's going to be the case. Next year, they're planning to move the Open to the Sunday in the week, and that's because it's planned to be a gold event, which I think is very, very exciting for the players in New Zealand. And, of course, the, the turnout of the Nationals this year, they had 208 men which was you know, more than they expected, and a very healthy number, but only 81 ladies, which was lower than expected. But I think the lure of the, the gold event and an automatic place in the WDF World Championship, and by then it will be hopefully the second WDF World Championship, I think is certainly a great carrot to have and great work being done by the NZDC. Thank you very much to Hopi and Desi for their time this week, and thank you very much for listening if you've got this far. Your support is always greatly appreciated. The next World Darts Federation ranking event is a week Saturday, and that's the Salavayev Cup in Russia, which is a bronze-graded event. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to playing some darts myself this coming weekend in the SCCC Dart Open in Croydon, which is run by Daryl Pilgrim, some, a name that some people will know from the Challenge Tour. Uh, looking forward to playing there, and even if I do go out in the first round, and I'll be able to say that I've proudly got a rating on the fantastic FDI ranking system even if it might possibly be the lowest rating on there uh, in the meantime you can follow me on twitter at am sinclair 97 you can follow the podcast on twitter at inside the wdf you can like the facebook page inside the wdf uh, you can rate review and subscribe on itunes or follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from and i'll see you next time